pray before we go to the Word of God. Father, um, as we look at your Word this morning, uh, we, we want the eyes of our hearts opened as we read the words on the page. We know these are words of life. Uh, they are words that can transform us. And uh, your Word's powerful. And so I pray that as we read and as we think and meditate and consider what you're saying today, that uh, you would work in our hearts, that you would use your Word in a way that shapes us be more like your son. We thank you for the questions that your son asked and and the depths that they probe in our own hearts. And so I pray that as we look at a question again to this morning that your son asked people that we would hear you asking it to us today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So this month we're in a series called Jesus Questions. If you were here last week for Friendship Sunday, we started it that week. Um, and thank you for those that invited friends. I think we were up in attendance last week. If you look at averages and from where we were at last year, maybe by 50 more than normal. So um, it, it was a blast to have that many people here. Um, three people prayed last week during the, during the last prayer of the, of the service to receive Christ. So to me, that's, that's a big win. You know, that's a big win for the kingdom of God. So... Um, that's why we did it, of course. That's why we did it. And so, and thank you too to Honey Rock, I mean, for providing that great lunch and uh, having us out there. I mean, that's, that's really cool. To be able to do that at, at, at no cost to us, and uh, I mean, they just offered to do that for us, that was just amazing. So thank you for that. Um, that was great. So um, we had a video uh, planned this morning, but we had some technical glitches. So uh, plan B is you get to hear another story from me. So there you go. Uh, sorry. Uh, I remember uh, when I was in college, you had, at Moody Bible Institute, you had to pick a ministry to do each week. And so uh, in my thinking, other people's thinking was, well, that's just something you've got to do. And so you might as well pick something that's not too hard, maybe something close to the campus downtown Chicago, just get it done. My thinking was, I might as well pick something that's going to be a little bit hard because I'm probably going to do this the rest of my life, so I might as well start to figure out how to do it, right? Uh, so... Uh, I picked one, one semester, maybe it's two semesters, I picked uh, Hartgrove Hospital. It was a psychiatric hospital for uh, children and adults. They had two different wings, one for adults, one for children. I had a roommate that worked in the adult side, and the stories he would tell as he led Bible studies were kind of frightening, so I didn't want to do that. Um, I picked the child side, knowing that it's going to be hard, knowing that there's going to be kids there that have uh, been abused, uh, or, or kids that have been the abusers. And, and the crazy thing is, they'd put them all in the same room. And, and, and they'd say, if you want to go to a Bible study, it's totally up to you. It's your choice as kids. If you want to go to this Bible study, these students will lead it from Moody Bible Institute. And so I was one of the students that led. And, and uh, some weeks were heartbreaking. Some weeks you would just laugh yourself silly. I mean, just the things these kids would say. You just never knew what kind of emotions you were going to get going into that on a weekly basis. But I remember one week in particular uh, was a notable week for me because I had to lead the Bible study that week amongst the team. And I don't remember what I was leading on, but um, I know it was good. I know it was good. And uh, because I knew it was good because at the end I said, I was confident enough to say, do you have any questions about what I've shared? And, and one of the kids in there raised his hand. I thought, yes, there we go. And so I called on him. And he said to me, and I'm going to try to say it just like he said it. I'm going to try to get it right. He said this. Why are your ears so big? And uh, like, what, did, I, did I hear that right? 
Did, did I just? I did hear it right. He asked why my ears were so big. And uh, I, I realized at that moment that I, I must have ears larger than the average person. Now, that set me up well later in youth ministry because later on they used to say I had Nile-style ears. And that was, that was the, what the kids would say. But, you know, when that kid said that, I got to tell you, everybody else thought it was funny, but I didn't laugh. Okay, I, I was a little bit put off by it because no one ever said that to me before. And uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't have a sense of humor when that kid said that. I, I took it kind of personally. Um, later, I was able to work through it. Sometimes, sometimes we hear things and, and they just hit us the wrong way. They, they just, maybe, they, maybe they're just too on the nose. Maybe they're just too just stating the truth. You know, because I, I admit that's probably the truth. The kid's telling the truth that day. And, uh, but, but to hear it didn't, didn't strike me as a great thing. I think sometimes when we read the Bible, we have to understand that, that Jesus is a teacher that isn't going to mince words with us, right? He's not going to try to sugarcoat things and, and say things that, that, that make us feel good. He's going to say things that we need to hear. And sometimes those things that we need to hear, they're on the nose a little bit. And, and, and they point out things that we feel a little insecure about. It's not our ears, but, 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 it, but it's the ears of our soul. How about that? How about that for an analogy, right? It's the ears of our soul that he's pointing out. And when we see it, we go, I don't know if I like that. I don't know how I feel about that. That's a little too, a little too much. Sometimes it's a little bit blunt. And I don't think, I think I'm one of those people that try to preach the truth, preach it graciously, but not avoid the hard things. Would you go to John chapter 6? And I want to look at some of the difficult things of Jesus. Go to the book of John chapter 6. Uh, starting in verse 60. If you're new here, there's notes in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along. And uh, what I really want to get at this morning, if I haven't hinted at it enough already, is... When I hear the words of Jesus and they offend me because they're difficult or because they touch on a hurtful area of my life or something that I'm just extra sensitive to, how do I get through that offense? How do I work through that so that I'm not reading this going, well, this is, I'm not doing this. How do I deal with that? John 6, are we there yet? Um, it's page 756. John 6, verse 60. Um, to set this up before we read it, th this, this could be a huge text to read, just so you know, because what Jesus is going to say here, the question that he's going to ask, uh, really gets set up in chapter 5. In chapter 5, we see that Jesus is, is teaching people, and he wants to feed them. And there's thousands of people there hearing his teaching. In fact, there's 5,000 men alone. That's not even counting women and children. So there's there's well over 5,000 people. I mean, it could be 10,000 people. And, and, and we call it the feeding of the 5,000 because Jesus wants to feed these people. That doesn't imply that just the men ate, just so you know. <laughs> they counted the men as what they did, which seemed to be the common thing to do back then. And uh, what happened was uh, Jesus, of course, asked his disciples, well, how are we going to feed them? And the disciples say, hey, we need, we need a ton of money to feed them. And even if we had all this money, it only give them a few bites and then uh, Andrew, I believe, says to Jesus, 
well, we got this boy with five loaves and two fish. But what's that going to do with all these people? And so Jesus has the boy bring the food. He blesses it, and it miraculously multiplies. You remember this story from Sunday school, right? And everybody eats, and they have 12 baskets left over of all of the leftover pieces. If you parents want to talk to your kids about wasting food, this is the story you want to go to, right? Save the leftovers. You know, save them, right? This, this is your go-to text. Um, so there's all these leftovers. And, and then Jesus departs, the disciples depart, and, and this is the story where the disciples leave in a boat and Jesus meets them in the water. He comes down the water and goes to the boat. And, and then they land somewhere else, Capernaum, I believe. And, and then uh, the people had been tracking Jesus and the disciples down. Like, where is he next? Like, we were there for the miracle. We want to see the next thing. And so they find Jesus. They track him down. And they say, um, they say do us another miracle. Prove yourself to us. What are you going to do? And they say, they say, Moses fed us with manna from heaven. Remember in the Old Testament, the people in the, in the wilderness wandering around, you know, during the time of Moses, and, and they didn't have food to eat, and so they'd wake up in the morning, and there was this, this bread-like substance on the ground, and, and it, was like, it was like frost, you know, but it was bread-like, and they would eat it. And, and they called it manna. And, and so they said, you know, Moses was this great guy, and he proved himself by feeding the people manna. What are you going to do? Which I find very, uh, to me, that's shocking that they even asked it, because, of course, uh, he just fed thousands of people by multiplying bread. How does that work? You know, isn't that good enough? But they wanted more. Give us more. So Jesus takes the opportunity to teach them something. He says, I am the bread of life. He says, I am the bread of life. And anyone that eats my flesh and drinks my blood has life. And they say, wait a minute, this guy is going to give us his flesh to eat? That, that, how does that work? That, that's not okay with us, you know? They, they wanted the bread at first. He talked about bread of life. Give us the bread. Then he says, it's my body. And they say, no, we don't want that. And he says, no, no, my, my, my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. It's real. And if you don't have it, then you're not going to have life in you. So, so that's a hard teaching. That's a hard teaching. Um, I'll show it to you in verse 55, John 6, 55. Jesus says, My flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. So verse 60 is where we're picking it up. They've just heard this difficult and offensive teaching. Because let's face it, cannibalism on its face is offensive. And so they say in verse 60, On hearing it, Many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Now, by disciples, I take this to mean uh, not, not the 12, but th- these are all the people that are kind of following him around. All right, We're Jesus followers here. Wherever he goes, we're, we're with him. Okay? So verse 61. Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where He was before? The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit, and they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray Him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to Me unless the Father has enabled Him. 
From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You don't, do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He met Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, yeah, Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. Does this offend you? Does this offend you? As I've said, sometimes we look at teachings of Jesus or teachings in the Bible and we say, man, that hits a little too close to home. Let me give some examples. That's dangerous, isn't it? <laughs> Offended, offensive things that maybe you might find offensive or that I might find offensive in the Bible. Some of these things are things that I've personally struggled over or that I've heard other people struggled over. Okay? Okay. What things offend people? We go to the next slide and we'll get some of those. First one. The seriousness of sin. Matthew 5, 22. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fires of hell. So Raka is like a really bad thing to say to somebody, an offensive thing to call them. But, but you fool, maybe was a little more common, but he's like, if you're angry with your brother and you call him fool, you're in danger of hell. Now that strikes me as uh, a small thing, right? I remember, uh, I'm sure when I was little, I called someone fool because I remember my grandma quoting this verse to me. First time I ever heard it, my grandmother quoted it to me and said, you're in danger of the fires of hell, you know? And, and that, that'll take you back as a little kid, right? <laughs> and and I, I remember thinking to myself, and, and my grandma didn't know this, I, but I was thinking to myself, I can call my brother stupid, idiot, moron, but not fool, not fool, but that misses the point entirely. Derek, Braden, Caitlin. <laughs> um, it misses the point entirely because what he's really saying is when you're angry with your brother and you call him a name, that's a sin and sinners go to hell. Sinners go to hell. And if it's a small sin, we like to, we like to say... We, in America, we kind of like to categorize our sins and say, you know, I, I know there's, there's different kinds of sins and there's different levels of consequence, but, but even the smallest ones deserve hell. Even the smallest ones. Even just being angry with someone and saying, you're an idiot, that, that, that's bad. People are going to hell for that and they're paying for it in hell just for calling someone a name. How often do you see that on a talk show, right? I mean, it just happens all the time. We live in that. We live in that. Does, does that offend you? That even the smallest things that you've done are remembered by God? And if they're not forgiven, they'll be brought up one day? Secondly, next slide. The purpose of marriage. Uh, some of the teachers of the law and the people, they, they wanted to ask Jesus about divorce. Jesus, give us your view on divorce. Divorce is one of those subjects that's it's hurtful. It's just plain hurtful. If you've been through it, it's just plain hurtful. 
But in asking Jesus about divorce, it's funny that he doesn't teach on divorce. He teaches on marriage. The question is, Jesus, what do you think about divorce? He says, let me tell you about marriage. Matthew 19, 4, haven't you read? He replied at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. And he said, for this reason, man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. This is Jesus teaching on marriage. It goes back to Genesis. It goes back to the creator's design. Yes, a word for the divorce. This can be difficult. This can be difficult. It can prompt repentance. Jesus wasn't addressing homosexual marriage in this question. But I can envision if, if the people, if that was the issue of the day and the people came to him and said, Jesus, what do you say about homosexual marriage? Well, let me tell you. Haven't you read in the beginning he made them male and female? That's an offensive word in our society. It is. You tell that to somebody and they're going to call you hateful. But there's the word of Christ. Does it offend you? If you're contemplating divorce and you read this, does that offend you? Okay, next slide. Here's one that I've personally struggled with quite a bit. The nature of hell. Mark 9.47 If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out because it's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. So I'm reading that going, hell is eternal conscious torment. The worm doesn't die. The fire is not quenched. It's an eternal sort of thing. And Jesus said a lot about hell over his teachings and his ministry. I wrestle with that. I'll never forget sitting in a, uh, it was a Dare to Share conference, evangelism training, and they did, a, they did a drama where a person was going to hell. It was like in the afterlife, and he was talking about his judgment. And they did like a videotape version of him talking about it. And it was, it was just frightening. It was awe-inducing. <laughs> and and, and you just, it, it just, there's a feeling of reality when you watch this video, even though you know there's no videotape from hell. But, but you see this, and you were just like... <sighs> I remember when the video was over, they wanted us to start singing and worshiping, and I was like, I can't even stand up. I hate hell. I'm just being honest. I hate it. And yet, this is what the Bible says is the fate of anyone who doesn't know Christ as Savior. What do I do with that? Do these words offend you? Uh, fourthly, the importance of Torah. Um, Matthew 5.19 Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about the Old Testament law. Oh, I thought I got to just throw that out and forget about that, right? Well, well, well our, we talked about this last fall. The way we relate to the law has been changed with the coming of Christ. But you can't just ignore it and act like it's not there and think that's just for the silly people back then who had to worry about mildew and, and uh, all these different uh, little laws, you know, what they could eat, what they couldn't eat. It's instructive for us, but in a particular way. And I can't go all there this morning. There's a message last fall you should listen to if that's of, of a big uh, thing to you. But I've heard too many Christians 
make jokes about the law like it's a silly thing that's in the Old Testament that we all just want to get through and, and not worry about. And Jesus says, no, no, if you teach people to ignore this, you'll be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoa, you know, like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, and then fifthly, fifthly, um, how about the responsibilities of spouses? I'm going beyond Christ's words now. Of course, this is Jesus' words as well, but through the Apostle Paul who wrote them. Um, he says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Submission can be an offensive word in this culture. It can be offensive. And I talk to people who it is offensive to. Does those words offend you, wives? I didn't put it up there, but uh, that's only because I set my notes earlier in the week. Uh, But um, I wanted to put up there also, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Because what husband loves his wife sacrificially like that, right? Oh yeah, you'll buy your flowers for Valentine's Day, right? But is that sacrificial? Because that's what the comparison is. You love your wife as Christ loved the church and he died for it. That kind of love. Oh yeah, the kind that says, it's not about me, it's about loving my wife in a way that makes less of me and more of her, right? I want want, want to honor her in that way. Man. By the way, I've never quoted this verse to my wife, just so you know. Um, I I think there's a way to use this in an offensive way, just so we're all on the same page. But these are the words of the Bible. Does this offend you? If it does offend you, how do you work through that? How do you make it through that? I'll suggest three ways from this passage that we can work through some of our offenses or our difficulties with the Scriptures. Number one, we need a gigantic view of God. I was laughing to myself this week because I thought, if I was still a youth pastor, I would have said ginormous. I'm just, just being honest. I would, I, the way I would have written it, but, you know, um, no, I won't do that. Um, verse 62 says this. What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? So, so the disciples are grumbling about Jesus' teaching, okay? They, they, don't, they don't like it. Eat, eat your flesh, drink your blood. We don't like that. That sounds like cannibalism, and we're not okay with that. And Jesus says, wait a minute, if you saw me where I was before, which one day I'm going back there, if you saw me ascend, go back up to my glorified position in heaven, would you still be offended? If you saw the person that was speaking these words to you, would you still be mad about it? I think if I was standing in the presence of God and God says, this is why I created hell, I'm just going to fall on my knees and say, yes, Lord, you're right. You're right. And I'm humbling myself. I don't like the idea that people never get out of hell. I, like, I, I would rather do it where you could burn off some sin and then, and then you could be done with it. I Honestly, that's what I wish. But I read the Bible and he says, you know, Revelation says the smoke of their torment rises forever. You know? I, I don't like the forever. But I accept it because it comes from the mouth of the God who created the universe. And I can silence myself in the face of him. 
to give a practical example of what I think this is like, do you guys ever watch that show, uh, uh, Undercover Boss? You know, it, it's, it's like the boss of a major corporation uh, goes undercover in their own workplace, and, and, and people don't know it. They're just hired on. I'm just a regular Joe Schmo. Here I am with my hat on, you know, and ready to work. And, and the people don't know it, but by the end, they find out this is the owner of the company. This is the, this is, or this is the president of the corporation. And I was working with him this week, you know? And they're just blown away. And typically by the end, the president says, here's what I'm going to do for you. You need education. I'm going to, I'm going to help pay for your education. Or you need a new car because yours, yours is so broke down. We're going to get you a new car. But, but there's, there's a, there's a benefit from that. Now, it just strikes me. If, you know, if, if, the, if the boss coming in as the employee with the hat on, you know, says, I want to send you to college, the other person, their employee is probably going, whatever. You know, I mean, that's, that's a good joke. You want to pay for my education. You're here working for minimum wage and you want to send me to college. Right. But when they walk into the office and the guy's got the suit on, right, <laughs> and sitting at the desk going, I'm paying, I'm writing the check, you go, yes, sir, I get it. Yes, ma'am, I believe you're going to do what you say you're going to do. It's who's speaking to you. And, and, and you get it. And so I think as we get to know who God is and, and, and how great He is and marvel at his, at his bigness, we say, yes, God, I get it. This is your plan. I'll submit to it. I'm there. I, I can go there. God, you're the God who gave Israel the Old Testament law. And you gave it for a good purpose. And so I would do well not to just skip over it and say, that's some silly laws back there. He's a big God. Number two then. Number two. We need to stress the spiritual. We need to stress the spiritual. And this goes to the heart of why they didn't understand Jesus. Look at 63. 63 tells you why they just didn't get it. The spirit gives life. The flesh, the body that I just told you that you have to eat, okay? This counts for nothing. So, okay, so Jesus, excuse me, you're saying we need to eat your flesh to have life, and now you're telling us that your flesh counts for nothing. And that's the way it always is, right? The flesh doesn't count. Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself, though. We've got to read the rest of it. Okay, um, The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. The words I've spoken to you are spirit and they are life. So he says, if you would just understand that what I said to you is are spiritual words. They're not fleshly words. The flesh doesn't count for anything. Right? I mean... We need to raise our thinking, right? Because I know that we have ladies going to Ethiopia this week and we're praying for them. And I realize that deep down, if they encounter physical problems, they're probably also spiritual problems. That's probably the root of what's going on. That, that there's spiritual things happening when we step out to do God's work. That's the way this works. There's a reason we pray for unity on the search committee that's looking for the next youth pastor because we get it. The flesh can get in the way, but the Spirit gives life. We want the Spirit involved. How many of your arguments in your marriage can go back to a spiritual problem? 
I'm not trying to throw out percentages because that's not always helpful. But, but you know what? James says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? They come from the desires that battle within you. It's a spiritual problem. You want something, but you cannot have it. That sounds like sin to me. So the fights that I have in my marriage go come back to a spiritual problem in me or in my spouse. And we've got to work that out. When you fight, I want you to remind yourself the issue is probably not the issue. Okay? The issue is probably not the issue. Whatever you're disagreeing on, you probably ought to step back from it and say, that's physical. There's probably an underlying spiritual problem here. What is it? What is it? And the same way is true in the Scripture. I read the Bible and I say, man, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Difficult words, depending on what kind of husband you are. But I've heard it. I've heard it. Wives say, I can't submit to him. He doesn't deserve it. But then it says, submit as to Christ, as to the Lord. So my spiritual walk is connected with the way I respond to my spouse. Same for me. If I'm not loving my wife sacrificially, I've got a problem, spiritually speaking. It, it goes deeper than just husband and wife and and who's in charge and and who's going to make decisions. I make decisions with my wife. That's the way I do things. I don't dictate. I want to love her and hear her perspective before we take a a course of action. That's loving my spouse. There's a spiritual thing going on here. Because husbands and wives should relate to each other as Christ in the church. So a, a marriage is a model of a bigger reality. Jesus and the body of Christ. Marriage is a model of something bigger than marriage. Oh, so it's, it's not about me just being in charge or someone else just listening. No, it's not about that. That carries out something that God's trying to show, spiritually speaking. I know I haven't given all the, all the answers there, but I'll tell you again, I've never quoted that verse to my wife. I don't want to misuse that verse but it is a model for how marriage is supposed to work. I have to love her sacrificially. I don't always get that right. I'll just say that. Okay, we stress the spiritual. If I could just see things, if I could just see underneath what's going on, the physical would show me something spiritual. If the people could just hear Jesus say, you have to eat my flesh, drink my blood. And if they, could, if they could have just said, wait, I get it. The flesh is full of sin. You know, um, it's never about the flesh. There's a spiritual thing going on. Even Jesus' perfect flesh, that's not what it's about. These are spiritual words. These are spiritual words. Thirdly, if I'm going to get through my offense... I need the ability to believe. The ability to believe. Verse 65. Verse 65. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. (laughs) Okay? You can't come to me, you can't follow me, Jesus says, unless the Father enables you. And so many people turned away because they weren't enabled by the Father and they just left. It's too hard. I don't get it. I'm gone. 
You've got to have the ability given by the Father to trust the words of Jesus. You've got to have it. Not everybody has it. Okay? I, I like to fool myself. Easter's coming up. And how many times have I said, you know, if, if I can just preach well enough, people will get saved. But that misses the spiritual reality and it puts it entirely on me in the physical. If my words are good enough, people will receive them. No, no. If, if the Spirit moves, people will receive the gospel. That, that's the reality. If the Father enables, if He takes the blinders off so you can see who Jesus really is, then you can make the choice. Am I going to follow this Jesus or not? But God has to take the blinders off, right? He just has to. Which is why when you're talking to a friend and you start talking about Jesus and you get all, your hands get clammy, it, it's not about the clammy hands or the faltering words. It, it's about, is the Father enabling this person or not? Why in the world did Jesus teach him parables? Because people that, people that just heard the story and go, that's a nice story about a farmer, they just didn't get it. They weren't really seeking. They wanted a handout and Jesus gave them something to chew on a little bit. But if you're seeking Jesus and you hear the parable, then you go, ah, now I see what's going on here. Give me eyes to see is what we've got to pray. When we read stuff in the Bible that just doesn't click with us, we say, can I take this on faith that this is God's will for me, that this is what God wants? I'm taking it on faith. I believe these are the words of God. If we have people in here struggling with sexual orientation... The question is, can you read the Bible and say, I believe this and it comes from the mouth of God and I'll accept it. I will accept God's direction on marriage. I will accept that. And it all comes back to, is God drawing you to that? Is he enabling you to see that? If your marriage is on the rocks and you're considering ending it, can you read the verse and say, this might not be God's will for my life. I know Jesus gave exceptions to marriage. I, I know those two. I know those verses. But this might not be Jesus' will for my life to go this route. Can I trust his words? Even if they're hard for me, can I trust them? Because they're words of life and words of spirit. We have to accept the words of God. We've got to help other people accept the words of God. And I believe Jesus gives us a few principles here for thinking through how do I accept words that are difficult. And I believe Jesus taught this passage, this particular one we're looking at this morning, to help us when things get hard. Because sometimes they do. Look at the disciples' response. The disciples have a beautiful response. You ever, you ever hear me preach or someone else preach and they kind of pray the points back to you? You ever hear people do that? Listen sometime. I'll do it, you know. And it's kind of like, wait a minute, you just preached that. Now you're praying it at me, you know. But anyway, <laughs> prayers become summaries. But, but the disciples summarize what Jesus says beautifully. Look at this. Look at this, what they do here. Peter is the spokesman. And uh, verse 67, Jesus says, you don't want to leave too, do you? And Simon Peter, speaking for the disciples, that the apostles say, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We get it. You're the bread of life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. What is he saying? You, we have a gigantic view of you. You're the Holy One of God. We get it. We get it. 
That's who you are. And, and we believe. In other words, he's saying, we have been given over to the fact that, that you are who you say you are. The Father has enlightened our eyes, and we believe. And we recognize that the words you spoke in verse 68, they're words of eternal life. They're spiritual words. Because literally, if you ate flesh, just like you eat beef or pork, it's going to sustain you for a day. You know, that's about it. But Jesus says the bread of life sustains you for eternity. Eternity. These are words of eternal life. They're repeating Jesus' words back to him. And then Jesus said, have I not chosen you, the twelve? He's like, of course you get it. I chose you. Of course you get it. And yet one of you is a devil. And I, he's like, I realize that too. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who the one of the twelve was later to betray him. He's like, I get it. Even the one that's not going to get it and is going to walk away, I know that too. You guys have had your eyes enlightened. Now follow the difficult teachings and the easy teachings of the Bible. If you're here this morning and uh, you have never taken the opportunity to respond to Jesus, our message is, Jesus, you've died on the cross for our sins. And you've saved us that way. If you've never received him, I would ask that at some point today, if you feel God tugging on your heart, he's opening the eyes of your heart, you ought to do business with him and talk to him about that. I'll give you a chance now before we go to communion. If everyone would bow their heads and close their eyes. If that's you and you're here and you're saying, I feel like God's chosen me. I feel like he's... He's, he's tugging on my heart. He, he wants me to respond to him in faith and believe him and ask him to forgive me so I don't have to go to hell and be there forever. That's me. I want salvation. I want to follow Jesus even in the hard things. If that's you, would you look up at me? I want to pray with you today. If that's you, if you want to pray this morning. All right, I invite you to pray a simple prayer like this. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me on the cross to give me life. You are the bread of life, Jesus, the one that's come down from heaven to forgive sins. So I accept that life and that forgiveness now. So now help me follow you through the difficult times and the good times, through the easy teachings and through the teachings that are going to stretch my thinking in a big way. Help me follow you. In your name I pray. Amen.